Heavenly Father, though the sun is shining outside and it's a beautiful day, our minds turn back to that day some 2,000 years ago when even the sun was blotted out because of the great and terrible sacrifice that was wrought for us on the hill of Calvary. Heavenly Father, help us to ponder those things, to think about them. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the pivotal event in the history of mankind. And we look forward to the return of our Lord and Savior, who will come again in the clouds to receive his own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the central text uh, this morning, I would like to read from John's Gospel, from the 13th chapter, um, a section beginning at the first verse. We'll read other scriptures as well, but John 13, 1 will be the beginning of our meditation this morning. John chapter 13, beginning from the first verse. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. I've read until the end of the 11th verse. Let's kneel for prayer. Let's bow for the Lord in prayer. Lord, it is an awesome thing that we can come into the presence of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And this morning we, we are remembering what that meant for us, what that cost you. 
Lord, as we see your love for us, we see your intention, your concern, despite, despite knowing the horrors you're about to go through, your concern for your disciples that they would be clean, that they would be instructed, that they would be prepared. Father, we wish to be your disciples. We wish this morning to be washed, to be every whit clean. Lord, we know we have accumulated much of the filth of this world as we walk in it. the lies, the corruption, the jaded thinking, the loss of hope and belief and trust in you. They cling to us as we are bombarded on each side. Lord, we need washing this morning. We need to remember, we need to remember why we have hope. We need to remember what we've been saved from. We need to remember what the cost and what we should have paid because we deserved to die. We need to be appreciative. Thank you, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts for leaving glory, entering into this filthy world and taking on my horror of sin upon yourself and being separated from your father and hanging in agony each second choosing to love me and put the hope of my redemption ahead of your agony and your opportunity to escape. Father, we pray that this pouring out would not be a waste for anyone in hearing of this message this morning, that all would respond on bended knee and bended heart in gratitude and thanks and surrender that their lives have been purchased with that precious blood, as they have been covered, as they have been redeemed. Father, inspire the brother's teaching. Lord, you know the many needs that are all around us. First of all, for spiritual healing. The reason why you came, we pray that, again, it would not be wasted. Lord, we pray for those who are also in need of physical healing. Lord, we're mindful of, uh, of a number who are in dire straits, Lord. And uh, we, we bring them before you. Those who are facing cancer, those who are facing even COVID, those who are facing um, pain of chronic illness day in and day out. Or we think of many in our congregation who have their own cross to carry. 
in our need of grace and encouragement and strength. And for those who are struggling with mental illness, depression, with those who struggle with, Lord, we pray that you would comfort and clear up and help may the light of your truth free people from struggles and anxiety and paranoia and whatever they are afflicted with. Father, you have come to set us free. That's why the price was paid. Lord, we pray that we would indeed take that freedom that you've offered at such a high price and value it and live in light of it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this past week, as I was thinking about the this service and the Good Friday service, I was reading and I was thinking and I was struck by the thought that, you know, as has been described before, we could dwell on the pain and the grisly details of our Christ's, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. And in some sectors of the visible church, they make a great deal out of this. They have, I remember going to the old churches in Europe and seeing around the perimeter of the inside of the church what they call the Stations of the Cross, the places where they would review each event on Jesus' path to the cross and, and relive it, as it were, step by step with the priest leading the procession. I believe that's an unhealthy, unnatural way to think about our Lord's sacrifice. It's good that we know what happened to him and we can at least use our imaginations to visualize what he must have gone through. I'm not denying that. But to relive those things again and again as some kind of a distorted penance, it would be like the equivalent of trying to, trying to relive your mother's path through labor and delivery. The important thing is that she endured those things for love's sake. And we love our mothers because of that. That's the healthy part. And so the word that stood out to me from this 13th chapter in John was this. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. It slides by when we read sometimes. But every so often the Lord allows some words to pass my eyes and he reaches out and grabs me. He loved them unto the end. I'm reminded, I'm not going to quote this exactly, but I'm reminded of a, of a famous line by a famous female British author, Jane Austen. She said something to the effect of, I will claim this for my sex. They were debating who had greater love, men or women. She says, I will claim this for my sex. We love best when all hope is lost. 
or we love longest when all hope is lost, something to that effect. But nobody loves through to the end. Only one man, I think we can say that about. Only he loved through to the end. Have you thought about what that means? So often when we love, we love to the first inconvenience maybe, or we love to the first slight, and then we're quick to show the other person how they have hurt us, or where they've been unfair. But love through to the end? Not us. That's divine. That doesn't come from the flesh. Look at what happened here. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing Could you love knowing someone else is going to betray you? We can love until we know we've been betrayed, but to love someone when you know that they're going to betray you? Think about that for a moment. Jesus loved Judas. He picked him. He was one of the twelve. What went wrong in Judas's life that he ended up like this? vulnerable and exposed so that the devil could use him. Simon's son. Did Simon somehow do something that influenced Judas in this way? I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. It's maybe harmful to assume those things, but I think as a father we should ask those questions. How do we show the love that we should have for our children, for our spouse? Is it the love of Christ, as we're pointed to in the famous chapter we often read at weddings? Or is it something less? Jesus knowing. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love Peter. I love Peter because I can identify with him. I know what I should do. I try to be quick to vocalize those things, but sometimes I find, like Peter, that I also have feet of clay. And what I know to be right, what I know I should do, I don't always do. And yet, Jesus loved Peter anyway, through to the end. There's a saying in the world, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, 
shame on you. Or, sorry, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know, we learn to be guarded. We learn to be careful. When someone betrays us once, that's a black mark against them. We're going to be more on our guard next time. We're not going to be so vulnerable. Jesus knew that too. He said, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. I had a friend growing up. We were quite close. Did a lot together. I considered him one of my best friends. But he had a bit of a double standard. When I was the only one around, we were buddies. But when there were some others that were maybe a little more popular or a little bit more to his liking, then I was second best. That hurt. That hurt. When we know these things, when we experience these things, it's certainly hard to love, isn't it? Denial, betrayal, that stings. We don't fault someone in a divorce case when they're the innocent party, when somebody else, when the other partner walked out on the marriage. We don't fault the person for not loving the one that committed adultery. We understand that. We can identify with that. Can you imagine the position of Jesus knowing all of these things? Now, Annas, I'm reading from chapter 18, verse uh, 24. John 18, 24. Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art, now thou also, art not thou also one of his disciples? And he denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith him, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Just thinking about Peter here. We know he was one of the ones that had the sword. You know, Jesus gave a very odd instruction before his crucifixion. He said, whoever doesn't have a sword, let him go sell his cloak and buy one. And Peter was obviously one of the ones who heard that instruction and went out and did just that. He armed himself. Now, think for a moment. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. What must he have thought? Going to that vendor, buying a sword, testing its sharpness perhaps, looking it over, thinking, okay, this will serve. Thinking, maybe this is it. This is the point at which 
Jesus is going to finally overthrow the Romans. Maybe he thought that this is, this is, this is what we've been waiting for. And he's going to somehow use me to, to maybe in a mighty way. Maybe his mind went back to the stories of Samson, how he slew a thousand with the jawbone of an ass. I don't know, but I, my, my, I let my imagination kind of go. What must he have thought? And so he took that sword with him to the garden. That sword must have been with him in the upper room when they had, Pass- when they had Passover and then shared the Lord's Supper together. That same blade went with him into the garden. It was maybe by his side while he slept when Jesus prayed. And then at that moment where he thought he needed to defend his Lord, he drew it. Pulled it out and cut off the ear of a man that was standing there. Thinking perhaps now is the time. Now Jesus will defend himself. And Jesus gave him clear instructions that hold true for everyone who will take up their cross and follow Christ. Put up your sword into its sheath. The same man who thought perhaps that he would be such a mighty defender of the Lord or be used in some special way to take vengeance on the enemies of the Jews now even denies knowing him. And Jesus knew all that. And yet he loved his own unto the end. Nineteen verse seven. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. They were talking now to Pilate. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him, But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh him a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat him down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away.
Think about that. His own people, the ones he came to save, the ones who claimed the promises of Moses, the ones he loved, the ones he wept over, they betrayed him too. He spent three years in Judea. Huge crowds followed him. Thousands must have been healed. Definitely thousands were fed. A week before this, they were saying, Hail Hosanna, the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One short week later, we have no king but Caesar. And yet he loved them unto the end. That kind of betrayal, that kind of rejection. Another famous English writer penned the words, I think it was Shakespeare, that said, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. We understand that saying because it's based on another truth, that in order to to be truly angry, upset at someone who scorned you, you must have loved them first. Being scorned by someone you don't care about or by a stranger doesn't hurt. But someone you love that scorns you, that rejects you, that hurts. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. And the irony is every word was true. Every word was true. He was indeed the king of the Jews. And not only that, but also the son of God as they knew. Pilate, the heathen, the blasphemer, the one who was no friend of the Jews, even he realized something was going on here. He got it. And he tried, we read about, he tried from that point on to get him released. He presented the Jews with what he thought was a a surefire way to get Jesus off. He said, you have a custom that one is released. So I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to give you a choice between two men, this healer from Galilee or this man who was a robber and murderer. Take your pick. And they picked the murderer. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been in a situation where you thought, oh, I should be the one selected here. I'm the logical choice. And they pick somebody else that doesn't have qualifications, maybe because of favoritism or nepotism or something like that. And you think, how unfair. How unfair. He loved his own unto the end, to the point where all forsook him. As we think about what that means for each one of us, as we consider that sort of love.
You know, I think as Christians, we sometimes do things that are unhealthy. We, we have these kind of pagan ideas that we have to somehow pay for our sins. That in order for God to forgive us, we must first beat ourselves up. It's true that the Lord looks for repentance. And where humility and a broken and a contrite spirit is, there he will give grace. But you don't earn that grace. When we disappoint the Lord, when we betray him, when we deny him, when we choose the ugly things of this world instead of the pure Son of God, He knew we would do that. He still loves us. He he loves us unto the end. In fact, he's made a provision for that in that when he resurrected, he didn't just simply say, well, now you're on your own. I've paid the bill. Shape up and fly right, I think is the uh, saying. I took care of it, now you're on your own? No. He intercedes still on the right hand of the Father, already knowing what we have done. There's only one way to fail of the grace of God. And that is to presume upon it. The moment that we do that, we are teetering on the brink of hell. That's an incredibly dangerous place for a believer to be in, to presume upon the grace of God, the grace that costs so much, the love that drove it. In Peter's great sermon in Acts, in spite of the horrible things that the people in Jerusalem did that day, crying out for the blood of an innocent man who was going to die in their place, a Passover to end all Passovers, Peter says to them, let me see if I can find it. Here it is. In the third chapter of Acts, verse 14, he's talking now to this large group gathered in the temple to hear him, among whom... From that crowd, there must have been those that were also screaming for the blood of that man. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, the man that was healed whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot, or I know, that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore." And be converted, 
that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Those actors, perhaps Judas excluded, did those things in ignorance. There was a blindness that was upon them. But once Peter revealed this, once Peter explained it to them, and they could understand it and judge for themselves, now the responsibility was theirs. And so, brothers and sisters, those of us that have tasted of the grace of God, that have experienced his love, that have experienced the wonder of the love that loved us through to the end, It's now on us to consider again and think again about that love and that grace that's been shown unto us and to never presume upon that grace. Never count that that grace is just going to catch us so I don't have to be careful, so I don't have to respect that love and that grace that was purchased, the grace that was purchased at such a high price for me. But I'd like to give it one more turn. How do we love each other? Knowing all this, knowing the kind of love that we have been loved with, this love that loved through to the very end, in spite of knowing what we would do to him, in spite of what we may still do to him in the future, how we may disappoint him, disgrace him, deny him, he still loved us. How ought we to love one another? There's a reason that Jesus gave the parable of the two servants. That wasn't for the sinner. That was for us. The one who had been forgiven turned around and took the other one by the throat. This Good Friday, let's consider that love that loved us through to the end more than any man or woman could ever do in a way that was truly divine, that touched our hearts and changed us. We need to be reminded of that love, not just the pain that Christ went through, but the love he had, the kind of love he had, Jesus gave only one mark of those who are his disciples. The world will know that you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. Why? Because that love was going to be unworldly, otherworldly. It was going to be a love like his love. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. Amen. We have heard this morning about the love a special love and uh, there's often we focused on how the depth of our Lord's commitment and what he was willing to go through but this morning we've heard about the fact that he loved us unto the end it's a love that will never let you go 
That's what we really want, isn't it? To know there is someone that we can really count on, that will never leave us, never forsake us, that is willing to love us to the bitter end, in spite, as we heard, the fact that we will disappoint him, we will abandon him, betray him, and he yet loves us still. My dear friend, uh, you're not going to find that anywhere else. I think events have showing that uh, the things you trust in, the institutions, the just not much left to, to really believe in. People are at a point where they, they don't believe anything anymore because they've been lied to. So many times there's so much manipulation. But here is truth, and here is the truth. And he is willing to love you to the end. Please don't give your heart, your energy, your life to something that will betray you. Love someone and give your heart to someone who will love you even when you disappoint him, who will be with you. What a, a privilege we have. What, what, how overwhelming. Let's take this time to consider the love of God and never turn to any poor substitute. With that, we would conclude this morning's service.